Ads, schmads. If you don't want ads, that's okay. Choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And hey, presto, no ads. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast. How have you been, John? I have been super, actually. You have been super. You're looking particularly... Super. You're looking particularly... I'm super excited for that. Why don't you say I'm very excited, you know? It's awesome. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Do you know, I went to see a play last night, John. Oh, yeah. In the Go pavilion down here in Dunleary. Which is nice called theater. the United. It's lovely, lovely theater. The United States against Ulysses. Oh, which was all oh right, about, go on. Uh, where it's a very, very good play written by a guy called Colin Murphy, playwright, right. directed by Connell Morrison, who directed lots of stuff that I, I I've done before. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant director, and it's about the trial of Ulysses in the United States, where the United States government tried to say that Ulysses was an act of pornography. And really. Close it down. So they wanted to censor Ulysses. Right. Okay, because this what, was even before McCarthyism. And, this is before, well before, well before. Yeah. And it's a, it's a wonderful piece. And it's about whether or not Molly Bloom's soliloquy constitutes pornography. And the defense was, no, it's just a stream of consciousness of a woman about how she feels about the world and how she feels about sex and lovers right. and herself and her physicality and bloom and infidelity and all that stuff. Normal stuff. Normal stuff, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's a stream of consciousness. It was a really good play. I think it's over now, but if you get a chance, if it comes around again, it's called The United States Against Ulysses. It's had its first outing. All Irish cast. But, very, very good. But, but hang on a second. So, so this was a real case? Oh, it was a real case, yeah, yeah. And, and Joyce and, won. And, Joyce won. So the right, defence okay. lawyers said, well, hold on a second, Mr. Joyce is only getting inside the head of his protagonists. Mm. And basically what you're hearing is the emotional roller coaster of a marriage and the emotional and sexual and physical stream of consciousness of an individual, mm. which is neither pornographic nor in any way vulgar, but is an actual fact humanity. Yes. And we are all humans. Sometimes I think that the American in particular, conservative right, you know, there's not that much difference between them and the Taliban. Well, uh, they're they're very obsessed by public sexual morals. That's what I find yeah, very purity weird. of some sort, yeah, whatever it's kind of that odd, is. It's, it's the United States. I mean, the United States is a, is, is, is a great and messed up country. In fact, we're going to talk about the United States economy today. 
with Eric Lonergan. Right. We can we can actually park our discussions about bizarre paradoxical American morality, and we'll discuss bizarre paradoxical performance of the American economy, which in the last couple of quarters has turned economic theory on its head. And it's absolutely crucial because what happens in America, whether you like it or not, has massive ramifications for what happens all around the world. Yeah. So we're going to go, we're going to do a series, John. Right. The Palestinian-Israeli series we did, which is a four-parter, which we felt we couldn't do justice for in one part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has proved to be very, very popular. Lots of people have emailed in, have contacted me, contacted you. People have really enjoyed it. So we're going to we'll come back to that definitely. I think what we're going to do is we're going to do a three-part series with them. The first part, and it's all going to be doing, looking out at the world in the next 12 or 24 months. First part, we're going to discuss what is happening in the global economy. And by that, I mean, where are the big players? Where is the United States Where's the European Union? Where is Britain as well? Because Eric is living in London and get a sense of that. So where are these big, big players? We're going to look really at the, what I would call the NATO sphere this this week, which is America, Western Europe, Britain. That's that. Then next week, we're going to look at the technology that's going to change the world in the next 12 or 24 months. And that technology we're going to look at is AI and the impact of AI, not just in your life, but on the society around us. We're going to look narrow and see actually what is AI going to do to productivity because we are economists, but we're going to go a little bit broader and intellectually try and grasp with the notion of this all-knowing, all-powerful robot, which is at the moment in our hands, but will change our world. And then finally, and crucially, we're going to look at the concept of geopolitics. What we know is that in the world in 2024, there is a serious and material and urgent threat to what we would call liberalism, democracy. This idea that we have political parties that compete with each other, that deliver people to the top who are broadly sane and who are broadly law-abiding and who are broadly working for the good of the citizen. Now, if that changes and the political system delivers, not only through the democratic process, but through the autocratic process, leaders who don't think this way, what we're going to look at is the following, is how does this affect prosperity? And the key issue here is whether economics is actually linked to liberty, whether you can have a growing economy and a retarding situation when it comes to liberty, liberalism, tolerance, etc. And of course, we're going to look at China and the change in Chinese policy in the last 20 years to anchor that discussion, but we're going to go broad. So that's it. That's over three podcasts. And Eric is on the line. And the last time I saw you, which was in the Home Rule Club in Kilkenny at about 3 a.m. last Saturday morning. Eric Lonergan, how are you? I'm I'm staggeringly well. Obviously, the liver is struggling, but the soul has been revived. That's, <laughs> that's the experience of Kilkenomics. No, I mean, all credit to you. It's such an incredible event, such a wonderful event. And uh, yeah, I'm still buzzing on it. What an advertisement for Ireland. Oh, well, that's... that's you know, every uh, night it was packed. Yeah. yeah. 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. Let's talk interest rates over a few points. <laughs> You see, there are, it's Nerdistan out there. It's Nerdistan. Ireland, Ireland as you've never seen it and economics as you've (laughs) never heard it. Well, I tell you, just just so you know, Kilconomics next year is the week after. So it's the, look your diary, it's the weekend of the 8th of 
November next year. And the reason it's the weekend of the 8th of November, what is happening on the 6th of November? The American election. Yes, yeah. So we will be live from Kilkenny and it will be either Joe Biden or... Your man, Trump? The swing state that is Kilkenny. The swing state that is. (laughs) The back of Clear's bar, Kilkenny. Yeah. Anyway, Eric, let's talk about the global economy. The big issues looking at 12, 24 months. What are you seeing? Well, so David, we've got to preface this with the fact that we spend most of our time ridiculing economic forecasts. And those economists who are foolish enough to do so. So what better way to spend our time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, is, this is what we do over a few points. So we'll give it a go. Um, right. Well, I think one of the really interesting things about the world today is the three big economic continents, the United States of America, China, and Europe appear to be facing very, very different sets of issues. There are common issues, but they're also very, very different. Um, America and Europe, the problem of interest rates and inflation, I think, is coming to a head. And there's some very interesting nuance, particularly what's happening in America. I think if you take American facts at face value, they, it's nothing short of miraculous what's happened to the U.S. economy. I think it's more extraordinary than people appreciate. And then I think there's another very interesting thing that's bubbling away in the background which economists won't pay any attention to until it's too late, which is the potential for a huge boost to productivity from AI and from sustainable electricity, renewable electricity. Okay. And then the big, really big, big call, I think, which you will love because I know you're one of the few people on the planet who spent an awful lot of time thinking about this, is is there a trade-off between freedom and prosperity? Yep. Right. So we go kind of from the mundane to the profound. Um, and I think that could be really what's happening in China because I've been a student of China. I started out in my career covering emerging markets. I was a student of China, late 1990s, after the Asian crisis. China suddenly became critical mass, started to affect the world. And if I look at their decision-making in the subsequent 10, 15 years, it was pretty phenomenal. You know, they restructured their banks, they shifted all the industry, they had a lot of heavy industry in northern China, they restructured heavy industry, amazing economic reforms, they did great fiscal stimulus, it was an economic miracle. The last 10 years, something has started to go wrong, they've (laughs) stopped solving their problems. So, you know, consumption as a share of GDP is way too low in China. So in other words, the population doesn't actually benefit from the level of GDP because it goes on fixed investment. They don't actually get to consume it. And the other thing is they don't have a proper tax base. They don't have proper social security. Now, those are problems they've had for 10 years. So I think there's a very interesting question, which is why is policy stopped working in China? Okay, so let's start with the United States economy. We'll genuflect to to Europe as well, but let's start with the US and what you think has been underappreciated. What exactly is this? Yeah, close to miraculous. If you look at six-month inflation and you annualise it in the United States, which is jargon for saying roughly where inflation is currently in America, it's about between 2 and 2.5%, right? which is near as damn it what your target is. You'd be very happy to get close to 2%. In fact, it's within the realms of a measurement error. So if you look at the research on how much we get, we mismeasure inflation by, it's probably about a percentage point. 
So to all intents and purposes, America appears to be pretty close to its inflation target. Now, if you'd said to either of us five years ago, you're going to have a global pandemic, you're going to send everybody, tell everybody to stay in their homes, you're going to put checks in the post, you're going to screw up the global supply chain inevitably, you're going to come out of that with very elevated levels of inflation. And you're one of the few people who looked back at the history of, uh, of, of flus or, or pandemics and identified the fact that they're very often, his, his, well, very often, historically, they have also been inflationary, the Spanish flu. Um, you would, and then you'd have thought, well, how are we going to get that inflation subsequently under control? And not only do we get the inflation under control, we have close to the lowest level of unemployment we've had for decades. We've been angsting for decades over the fact that people on low incomes are getting very poor levels of pay in terms of income distribution. And actually, you've had a big increase in the remuneration of the low skilled in America. That is quite an extraordinary achievement. Yeah, well, as, as you say, verging on the miraculous. For, for, those, for those of you who are studying economics, you'll know that one of the central ideas of macroeconomics is there is a trade-off between inflation and unemployment. And if you bring inflation down, this will only come at the cost of very, very elevated levels of unemployment for a while. This has not happened. So this is the kind of the theoretical conundrum we're talking about. Yeah. I, so, so that's absolutely amazing. And so I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful for the Americans because I think they... The, the U.S. Federal Reserve is being pretty astute by putting interest rates on hold currently. And as we know, the perennial challenge in economics is this problem of lags. Right? Now, what does that mean in English? It just means you raise interest rates, they don't take effect immediately. It takes time, and you don't quite know how long it's going to take. And of course, we're all short-sighted because you know the things that the thing that everybody, including economic policymakers, is terrified of is looking stupid. And so it's very difficult to say, just be patient, things will get better. Because you go along to your next meeting and you're wrong again because the inflation is too high, and you're wrong again, and then you throw in the towel, and that's how we make mistakes. But I think so factually, one has to be very optimistic about America because this is quite an extraordinary achievement. Are there risks? Absolutely, there are, precisely because of those lags, which is interest rates have gone up a lot. Although I would caveat that with they started very low. So I think the, 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 a move from zero to three, three and a half percent is actually not that significant. Three and a half to five, five and a half may be what tips you over the balance. But I would broadly be optimistic. We, we have to be alert to the fact that, you know, particularly now, what's, you know, there's, there is always the risk that something goes wrong in the financial sector as people come off fixed rates of interest, yep. it starts to feed through. And I think you can see that very clearly. So just to sort of wrap up on the point about interest rates, I think if you, if you look at the Western world and you move over to Europe, you are seeing the, the effects very clearly in economies like the UK. So one of the things I, I think we will see, and we are seeing the economic effects of interest rates in the UK, and I think there's a very high probability that if we're not already in recession, we're on the brink. And the reason for that, people are confused. So why is the US and the UK? I think there's a very simple reason, which is most UK mortgages, to all intents and purposes, are affected by 
the policy rate that the central banks set. So they're not really fixed. They're fixed for maybe three years, maximum five years. Well, we're now several years into this rate cycle process. You're starting to see the effect in the UK. So where I sit in London, I'm in Northwest London, Wilsdon Green, definitely definitively got the best Irish pub in London. You've got to get <laughs> over to it. It's sensational. Shout out to the Lucky Seven in, in Cricklewood. <laughs> but it's, it's a mixed area and it's proper London, as I would say. It's proper old school London. I'm seeing businesses in trouble, businesses shutting, and their customers are saying, my mortgage rate is too high. I can't go out to the restaurant. I don't have any spending power. And I think that's because of the nature of the mortgage market. Very different in America. People have 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. If you've got a mortgage and a property, you haven't felt any pain. So I think it start, we are definitively starting to see the effect in the, in the economies most sensitive to rates. So the United States looks as if, and this is what is going on, as the Americans say, under the hood of the economy, to explain the fact that people like a Larry Summers, old school, big beast of the economics world, looks to have been very, very you know, out of date on what's going on. So he was basically saying, look, if we're going to get yeah. inflation down, we've got to have, you know, the rate of unemployment at 10 for 10% and the economy grinds to a halt, right? That hasn't yeah. happened. Explain to me, over and above interest rates, over and above those, what else do you think is going on in America to explain this really dramatic performance of an economy that people had thought two years ago was going to grind to a halt? I think the truth is, and and... Larry Summers and, and, and the word humble are rarely stated in the same sentence. I think a degree of humility is appropriate here, which is, but this has been going on for decades. I remember meeting an official at the Federal Reserve and she said, uh, we have a whole sort of section of our filing system on how the, uh, the Nehru breaks down, i.e. this idea that there's this magic level of unemployment at which inflation picks up. And, or the Phillips curve. And so they keep on coming back to it because we don't really understand it. And the reality is for an awful long time now, American unemployment has been going to levels we didn't think were consistent with having stable inflation. And it looks now as if the pandemic was a kind of aberration. So someone like Larry Summers initially looked very clever because he said, no, we're going to have an inflation problem. And it looked like we did have an inflation problem six, 12 months ago. The interesting thing is that it looks now like we were being impatient and that inflation rate has then started to normalize. And so it, it, I think it's testimony to the operation of the US economy, that it is a very competitive economy, that actually technological innovation takes hold. And I think probably the 20, 30 years of price stability hasn't fundamentally been altered by the shock that came through via the pandemic. I think that would probably be my best guess. What one can't deny is, is simply the facts, and the facts are extremely positive. And the labour force continues to grow, and they continue to invest, and they continue... I mean, it's a really a recurring theme over my you know, career as, 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 as a macroeconomist, really is do not bet against the Yanks. It's a sort of a funny thing, you know? Yeah. At every stage, people call the end. They say, that's the high point of America, and it's an empire in decline, and all that sort of good stuff. And people go back to history and say, look what happened to, you know, Sparta. Look what happened to the, the British Empire. And yet the sort of recalibration of the American economy continues apace. 
It's an extraordinary thing. Indeed. Indeed. There's probably one other thing I would add to that, which is, as you know, economic history is about is, is as much about being lucky or unlucky as it is about being good policymakers or bad policymakers. And there's a dimension in which we have been lucky, which is we're actually benefiting from the legacy of the financial crisis. Explain that to me. Well, what I mean by that is that after the financial crisis, the Americans sorted out their banking system properly. So they said, there is no way you're going to engage in those levels of leverage, those levels of speculation, that level of irresponsibility. And in fact, they allowed also the banking system to consolidate very substantially. And so what has typically happened, if you look at monetary policy over the last 30 years in America, it has typically got derailed by a blow up in the financial sector. So whenever you've had these significant shifts in interest rates, something major has gone wrong. Now, it did go wrong this year, but it was more like an echo. It was a faint echo of the real thing, which was the US regional banks. And you remember Silicon Valley Bank who'd been all involved in financing VC and all that kind of area of sort of of bubble in the US economy. But if you look broadly speaking at the the US commercial banking system is just in very, very rude health and very rude health in the context of where of the of the economic cycle. So typically at this point in an an economic cycle, you would have expected the banks to have taken crazy risks, to be over levered, for there to be more deep-seated problems. And and this is the kind of irony of economic history, is uh, when we are most worried about things reoccurring, they're least likely to occur, because we precisely create a system to make sure it isn't going to happen again. But just before we leave the States, although the major commercial old-fashioned bank on the main street, what everybody understands to be a bank, Mm. have been chastened, okay? And that goes from Wall Street to the smaller banks. And you're saying the behavior has been quite exemplary. There has been the explosion of other debts, of other unusual things that don't smell like banks, but actually are banks, of private equity outfits, of highly leveraged yeah. places. Are we missing something that a rate of interest at 5 6% yeah. is a totally different ball game for rave? Just before we leave the States, are, are we being a little no, bit no, too No, 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 you're right. There are, there are problems there. I'd say there's two aspects to it. One thing is that, and I, I, I attended your wonderful interview with Michael Lewis. That was a sensational evening in Dublin. The, the crypto bubble. Yes. Yeah. As, as you and I went on public record saying, you're buying lottery tickets, right? However, as an, with my economist hat on, if you're going to have a bubble, that's a relatively benign area to have it because it doesn't really do any economic damage because it was so crazy. There was no, the financial system wasn't leveraged to it, right? Yeah. The commercial banks, it wasn't like property. A property bubble is very pernicious because the whole banking system comes down. A crazy bubble in venture capital and Bitcoin and blockchain, all that sort of stuff. Actually, the economic significance, I think the debris isn't too destructive. In fact, there may may even be some useful things to be found amidst the debris. That's one important point. But what you say about private markets, private equity, that is real. But also, part of the trick in economics is you want to avoid correlating events. What I mean by that is you want to avoid things that bring everything down. There are always going to be sectors of a capitalist system that are in recession and other sectors that are booming. And that's actually okay because at the aggregate, it works. 
So I think you that's, are that's right John's, there. John's, fin- that's John's yeah. favourite mate, Schumpeter, coming back into the gig. That Absolutely. Basically yeah. the, that the thing is, uh, is... That's right. The thing is this weird, eclectic ecosystem and little bits of the ecosystem might be in trouble and little bits might be flourishing, but in general, the jungle survives and thrives and, you know, all, everybody competes for a bit of light and a bit of air and a bit of water and eventually things settle down. That's exactly right. So so let's leave the States. Let's go to the UK. We haven't spoken about the UK for a couple of weeks. I haven't been over in the UK. What you're saying is the higher interest rates are having a manifest effect. Can I just add one other thing into the mix there? We did yeah. a gig in Kilconomics about evolutionary economics, which was very, very interesting, okay? But one of the ideas was that the, the Colm O'Regan just asked me, look, does the mood matter? in economics. Does this thing like confidence matter? Does effervescence matter? Does the optimism matter? Is it a thing? I really believe it is. I actually think that Mm -hmm. ultimately Mm -hmm. the animating force of economics is individual optimism. That's what I think is actually behind the whole thing, the whole shebang. The people start ventures based on an optimistic view of the world. That's why we do things. Let me just throw that into the mix in the UK. So you have the interest rates, which is the real, what I would call the hydraulic economics. You know, we pull that lever and that thing happens, right? Talk to me about the mood, the vibe, the feel in the UK. Yeah, and I'm very sympathetic. I often think the journey of an economist is you start with maths and you end with psychology. Whether that's the right way or not, I I don't know. I think think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, You start with maths and and you end with psychology. I love it. Yeah, and I'm a believer of that in markets as well. I think the mood, my sense of the mood is pretty bleak now because the, the effect of interest rates is, is mechanical. So people will have taken out um, fixed rate mortgages two, three, four years ago at interest rates as lo- below 2%, which in a historical context is a- extremely low. But the important point is if they're to try and refinance today, so if you're a family, you know, and all, all families with mortgages, you're, 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 it, it, it's struggling. It's a huge source of anxiety and worry for people. And you're coming off a mortgage fixed at 2% and you're looking at the prevailing rates now, you could be paying 5 or 6 Like that's a 300% increase in for what many families is their most significant outgoing and and that's you know that is just a mathematical fact every month that passes yes. tens of thousands of more families are coming off a fixed rate mortgage onto a variable rate mortgage so the bank of england doesn't have to do anything and monetary policy is tightening every month and and the psychology yeah, I, of that I, the psychology of that is devastating you know that's I mean tens of yeah. thousands of uk families as you say facing you know hundreds of pounds difference in their take home income because their mortgage yeah. rates have gone up. That has a huge impact. And, and Mackie, you raise a very interesting question. You know, you, you know, I've got two daughters similar age to your own. Like I've got one 23, she's just graduated from university. And for her generation, it's very, very interesting. They've grown up with full employment to all intents and purposes. I mean, if you look at the UK labor market, even during the GFC, unemployment barely went up during the, 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 the great financial crisis. Unemployment didn't move. That. It was like six-month period, things went on yeah. hold, and then everything was normal again. When I look at her generation, they don't think about, can I get a job? They think about, what job am I going to get? So do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? What do you, 
Whereas, you know, the reality of economic history, there are long phases where you can't get a job even if you want one. Yeah. And I do worry that this is sort of potentially the first proper recession in the UK for a very long time. Um, because, you know, COVID was very odd, wasn't it? Because you had the furlough scheme, the yeah, financial was- crisis was a huge fear, but it was, you know, this is of a very different variety. So you're talking about something that looks and feels, dare I say, old fashioned, where, you know, yeah. the, the UK has, because it's always located, at least in my living memory in the UK, in housing, interest rates, banking, leverage, that's their gig. That's their gig. That's the, that's what, that's the basis of the UK consumer. And the base of the UK consumer is the base of the UK economy. And so that tends to unravel. And then what you tend to get is you tend to get the sort of the lagged impact on consumption and then unemployment. And then taken together, that makes up what I was talking earlier on about the psychology of the place. It's exactly right. And it tends, I think Keynes made this point that, that, that recoveries are gradual, recessions are abrupt. It tends to happen quickly is all of a sudden you go from everything seems to be okay to all of a sudden we're in recession. Now, I hope I'm wrong, and, and it comes with a health warning, but the evidence at the moment to me is if I look at the hard data, the private sector now in the UK is shedding workers, so it's very different to the US labor market. If you look at surveys of small businesses, it looks material declines in revenues and if you think it through logically and if you see what i'm seeing anecdotally confirms that as well okay let's just leave the uk and we can come back to that just to to end this particular discussion about the current phase of economies ireland sits as i've always said we're like the jockey riding two horses right one horse is the american horse one horse is the european horse okay if Europe and America are going together, we sit incredibly pretty and all is fine. If they separate, the jockeys in other regions become very uncomfortable. Let us talk about the EU just very briefly, the current state of the EU economy before we leave this part of the discussion. What are you feeling? I, I have to say I'm finding it very, very hard to read because the data is very, very mixed and so one has the problem that it, that, it, that it doesn't appear to be a, an entirely homogenous entity. So certainly the manufacturing sector looks to be very, very weak, the industrial sector. But the labor market still seems to be pretty strong. So also, I think interest rates, even though they have gone up a lot, the, the absolute level is still materially lower than it is in either the United States or the UK. And, and you know, economists love getting bogged down in these ideas of what's the equilibrium real interest rate and the R star. And the truth of the matter is, you know. Nobody uh, knows. Nobody knows. No, nobody knows. And I'm not even convinced by the idea. I don't really believe it could, there's a magic number for interest rates that somehow equilibrate things. I, I think the whole thinking is probably incorrect. Um, so I, I would say there is greatest uncertainty in Europe because Europe has been shocked in in so many different ways. Obviously, the whole energy shock around the Ukraine was far greater. And that was a big shock to real disposable incomes. And now that we see the oil price coming down, that's a huge support to disposable incomes, real disposable incomes within, within Europe. And Europe, some of the geographies are far less sensitive to interest rates. So if you look at an economy like Italy, which you know is, is dear to my heart. Yes, exactly. Um, 
you know, the evidence... Eric, by the way, is says, half Italian, just if you know. So Eric's got that lovely combo <laughs> of being half Irish, I'll half switch, Italian. Switch off right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's obviously talking bollocks. Uh, but the thing about Italy is very interesting. If you look at its sensitivity to interest rates, it's it's one of the least sensitive in terms of the, the, the kind of statistics of it to interest rates because they hold... The Italian private sector holds very, very considerable domestic savings, which are often in interest-bearing assets. And their mortgage market, you know, mortgages as a percent of the housing stock are very small. You've got a very different demography. Um, so the, the, the effect of interest rates in the economy is a lot more mixed. And I think that's also true in Northern Europe. So I suspect what may be more relevant is, in fact, the global picture yeah. in terms of its impact on Europe. But I think the picture there is very, very mixed. And I think what Europe will be hoping for is that America keeps on growing and also that the Chinese get their act together. I think the interplay, China feels to me, if anything, to be most relevant perhaps to the European economy than either to the UK or America. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to come back to China in the second part of this series because it's very, very clear that Germany in particular has leveraged its industrial might and its industrial output to China in a way in which yep. nobody really expected. So consequently, what goes on in China is actually materially and, to use that Keynesian expression, abruptly relevant to Europe because orders stop and they stop quickly. So what we're going to do, Hold Eric, on. is we're going to come back and we're going to talk about in the next part of this podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about AI and the Green Revolution. And then we're going to tie yep. it all together, talk about China. I'd love to do that. Love to do that. And John and I, we will come back into the studio and digest what Eric has just said there. Yes, there's a lot to digest and discuss. And discuss. Okay. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's a whole load of stuff that that I want to highlight in that, but one thing I want to ask you about, just very quickly, he talked about Phillips Curve. Yeah. Just remind me okay. what the Phillips, Phillips curve, curve is. Phillips Curve is an observation. Phillips was an actual New Zealander, and he was an engineer, 
And uh, he observed, it wasn't a theory, he just observed that when you have very, very low levels of unemployment, you tend to have high levels of inflation. And the reason is the following, at low levels of unemployment, there's very, very few workers around. Those workers who are around demand higher wages because simply there's low... There's loads of... They can. They can. Yeah. And that pushes inflation up. Yeah. And then vice versa, if you want to bring inflation down, what the Phillips Curves tells you is you need to engineer a recession and higher unemployment so you can only have low inflation and high levels of unemployment and vice versa. But what the Americans have proved in the last year is you can have falling inflation and rising levels of employment. Well, see, that was the other question I was going to ask you. Should we be hooting and hollering about Biden and his economic management? Or, yeah. or what, what, what well, has actually Biden happened? Biden has been an unbelievably good president for the United States, right? He has the economies flying ahead. Mm. Inflation is down. In the United States, the only thing, I mean, we did talk about the other day that maybe Israel, Palestine, Netanyahu will have an impact. Yes, it will. But the Central American idea comes back to the Bill Clinton notion that in the election year, it's the economy stupid, right? In an election year, if more Americans feel well off, if they feel that their tax rates are falling, if they feel that the dollar in their pocket is going further and inflation is falling, they'll vote for the incumbent. Yeah. Right? They'll yeah. vote for Biden, right? So what Biden needs to get right, more than anything else, even if the Middle East were to erupt, for your average Joe Schmo, Joe Sixpack in America, yeah. it's the economy. So what he needs to do is keep the show on the road. What you're saying right now is thus far, the show is on the road. Now, his, his ratings are in the as they say, in the jan, as the Americans say. But that doesn't matter. That'll all come out in the wash, you know? Right, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Biden should be sitting thinking, okay, the economy is under my watch, is doing quite well. He just needs to be able to tell that story in a particularly hard-hitting way over the next year. Or or that sort of homespun, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, I'm a working man, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Scranton and all that kind of stuff. All that sort of stuff. But the point is... I'd, I'd sooner it delivered hard, cold facts... I, yeah, that, I that, would react better to that. But anyway, well, the American love the love the origin story. You know, yeah. I started here. It's like Oscar Apple Wilde. We're, and we're all right. in the gutter, but some are looking at the stars. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. They love that. Carry on, Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem, <laughs> one of the finest DJs <laughs> Absolutely. to ever spin a disc. <laughs> Sunday afternoon, was he not? He was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Keep yeah. your feet in the ground and looking at the stars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's our podcast, John. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, apart from. The US, the UK is telling a completely yeah, different and story. Eric was, Eric's again, where, where is he? He's up around Cricklewood, home of the Paddies. Yeah, Wilston. Wilston Green. Wilston Green. And the Lucky Seven. Woo! Yeah, well, we, I would love to go to the Lucky Seven this afternoon. Well, I mean, the point is, and his, his point is really well made, is that the UK is just in, it's in a rut. It's kind of caught itself in a rut. Mm. Forget the politics, which is what everyone looks at, but he's, he's talking about the basic idea that you have many tens of thousands of British families on variable mortgages. Mortgages that were taken out, let's say, when interest rates are very low, now they've got to be refinanced. Yeah. Those refinancing, you're going up three or four percentage points. These, this is a lot of bread for yeah. people. And it's a lot of bread coming out of people's weekly family income. 
after they pay their mortgages. And this is having a dramatic impact on what I call the mood. The mood is so important, the optimism, the sense of we're going in the right place, we're going in one direction. And I think uh, what Eric is saying there, I think it's shared by many people in the UK, that it's just the ship is aground somewhere and it's not being righted by anything. And again, the actual... And the fun- cricket team are doing absolutely shite at the are moment. They, I believe so, I, yeah. I, I didn't realise... But, but I didn't realise that cricket was part of your... Uh, not your really. Great, your great sporting <laughs> enthusiasms. But, but it is those kind of things that adds to the mood, you know. There's no doubt. There's mood, the mood of a nation. Like, as I said, the great animating force of economics is the mood. I know that sounds mm. almost irresponsible, to identify something as nebulous and intangible as the mood or the vibe. Mm. But that's it. You know, that basically we start everything. If you if you decide to, you know, you start a podcast, you start it from a position of optimism. You're yeah. optimistic that this is going to work. You have to be. You have, have to be. be. Yeah. So if the mood is pessimistic, all those marginal decisions, those small 50-50 decisions, will I do something, are actually put on the back burner. So because pessimism breeds not contempt, but pessimism breeds status. Yeah. You think, I better not risk anything. Yeah. And if everybody is not risking, then who's setting up anything new? Nobody. So that's why the mood is very, very important. And it seems in just the mood in the UK, they've been, it's all the way, it's, it's back to the, it's back to the financial crisis. It's back to austerity. It's back to Brexit. It's back to all this. At every stage, they haven't been able to, you know, as the Americans would say, catch a break. Yeah. And, you know, catching a break, amazingly, I know it sounds weird, but end here, John, catching a break in economics is as important as some of the big economic theories that we go on about. Because at the end of the day, if you're not optimistic and if you don't feel that you are about to engage with something or embrace something or kick something off, mm. that will actually work well, then you won't do it. And if you don't do it, the economy goes backwards. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 